Welcome today to Victory. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory Church. We want to thank you for coming. We realize there are a lot of great churches in the West Memphis, Marion area that you could have chosen to visit this morning, and we are grateful that you've come to worship with us today. You're just in time for a new series. This is called Christmas at the Movies. Today is the first installment in that, and we are doing this through our Advent series, which is the church's answer to a lot of the hyper commercialization of the season, and, and we love all of it, so we're not, we're not downing anything that anybody does in the way of a, of a Christmas tradition except just to try to bring it back to focus uh, about Jesus, because after all, it is called Christmas. It's called Christmas. Somebody say amen. And so the, the focus and the emphasis with those that are believers that know Jesus Christ is, is no longer about preparing for a baby to come at the first advent, but it's about the preparation of our hearts to receive, not the baby in the manger, but the Lord from glory. And I just want to, if you would, let's give the, the Advent family a hand, the Gaddises and the Dabs and uh, Miss Ann Ford. Just so, Faulkner, I called her Ford the last service. I don't know why. Faulkner, I got it right there. My own mind jumped back on track. So <clears throat> thank you today for coming with us. We're excited. This one is the installment on hope, and we're going to be looking at these four big themes which are standard in Advent around the world when churches practice this and they have the little Advent wreath, every one of those candles standing for these five big themes in this order of hope, love, joy, peace, and then light. Light is what we'll celebrate on Christmas Eve, December 24th, where we talk about light that's coming to the world. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Please come. We, we want you to come and bring your family and friends. We know that you'll have folks visiting in town but it's a very brief service, starts at 5.30. We'll have you out of here at the latest by 6.15. It's a well-planned 45-minute service, but it's all centered on Jesus and adoring Him and lifting Him up. And as we've started this as a new tradition here at Victory, all of the families who come have said that it really makes a difference in starting all of their, their meal and their gift-giving and their family time and refocusing and keeping it all centered about Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. So please remember you have a little card in your seat with a ticket on one side of it that gives you the service times and the dates for these four weeks of Christmas at the movies. Uh, hope, love, joy, peace, and then light on Christmas Eve. We'll be looking at old and new movies so if one of them is not necessarily your cup of tea, come back and try again because there will be some great movies I think that will be speaking to every generation. And we've done that on purpose because all of these are classics. They are Christmas classics. And this morning as we jump into this, the title of this message, and you'll know which movie we're going to look at when you see the title. Everybody read it with me. Hope for a Wonderful Life. I believe this one probably is uh, Probably the, the premier classic. It's in black and white. It's called It's a Wonderful Life, James Stewart, Donna Reed. Uh, it actually lost money at the box office. It was considered to be a failure when it came out. But then, uh, about the 1970s, it started being played over and over and over outside of the copyright realm, and nobody else was getting paid. And so it wasn't syndicated, and it began to be played over and over. And it's become really part of the holidays for most families to sit down together at some point, maybe Thanksgiving forward, and to be able to watch It's a Wonderful Life together. Because it carries so many themes, I think, that speak to us about life issues, the circumstances that we face, the hopes that we begin with. Uh, this morning, I don't have a series text that I'm going to read from, but I'm going to be using text with each of these points. We're going to look at some clips through the movie particularly in relationship to how we deal with hope. 
And obviously this whole thing is going to be brought to a climax where we talk about Jesus Christ alone who is our hope. Somebody say amen. amen. Because we've all gone through circumstances and we begin with in just a moment when we show this first clip. This is what I would call unchallenged, untested hope. It's the hope of the young person that begins life and has a bucket list of things that are numerous desires, some of them disjointed, not necessarily having anything to do with the other, but they're just a number of desires that exist in the heart of every young person. And then somewhere along the line, life happens. How many of you know that when, when, when we make plans, rarely do they ever come about the way we plan for them to happen? Come on. Anybody want to say amen? All right. So I'm talking to a real life crowd in the room this morning. We make plans and then life happens. And when life happens, Sometimes those plans get altered. Sometimes we have a setback. Sometimes we face a disappointment. Sometimes it actually turns out to be better than we even hoped for in the first place. And I believe that's where Jesus comes in and giving us a new and a fresh perspective. This message today centered on this movie was actually compiled from a short story called The Greatest Gift. The Greatest Gift was then turned into, into the screenplay, which became the movie it's a Wonderful Life. And it's the story of George Bailey who lives in Bedford Falls, somewhere USA. We don't know what state it's in. But the thing about this particular period of time and all of the Frank Capra movies is they all seem to really capture a kind of a nostalgic view of history. I've been a lover of history from a very young age. I remember being fascinated in school, in fifth grade social studies, long before that in uh, vacation Bible school, in Sunday school on Sunday morning, hearing the stories of Bible history and hearing what God did through the lives of men like David and women like Ruth and Deborah, who was one of the judges of Israel, and Samson, the strong man, and all of these things that we all hopefully teach our children growing up about these real true Bible characters that had flaws, but yet God was able to move and work through them and use them. And I grew up not to just remain a lover of history, but became a student of history and then received a couple of degrees in it and a graduate degree in history and teach now on the college level history. And the thing about history is, is that it reveals that every generation typically looks back a few decades longing for some golden period when things were simpler times and things maybe were a less complicated era. Uh, it, it's not uncommon to hear somebody who might be an elder saint today long for the 1950s. And, and when you study history, you realize that those in the 1950s were actually longing for another period previous to it, maybe the 1920s before the crash, before the Great Depression. And when you go back and read of the folks that were looking for and wanting to have something restored from their past, the people in the 1920s were actually hoping for days that resembled the 1890s. And so what I want to say to you is that this is something that every generation does at some point. When we lose a sense of hope for the future in a forward look, we start spending too much time looking backward to the past there's nothing wrong with a backward glance, and we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, but real faith and a relationship with Jesus Christ and a recognition that God has something better for you yet that we long for. 
that God has something greater, that there is something that still moves me to faith. At 54 years old, I am not a cynical dude. And I've seen and heard everything. I'm rarely surprised anymore if somebody comes in and says, Pastor, do I have a story to tell you? I want to tell you right now, I've already heard just about everything that can be said. And in the middle of that, I'm thankful that I'm not a cynical older dude. I'm still filled with hope. I have faith. And I truly believe that the best days are yet to come. And God has some amazing things for us. And I'm not a gloom and doom kind of guy. I don't preach anything that's going to produce a spirit of fear because God's not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And come on, help me a little bit this morning. I didn't think I was going to preach today, but I feel it in me. Hallelujah talking to a few guys who went to a conference this last weekend and just got a little bit of the afterglow that was coming off of them and I just feel like a little bit of preach in the house today. Does anybody have any hope in your heart today? We're hoping for a wonderful life. We're hoping for the greatness that God has called us to and I refuse to let myself get caught in a backward glance that becomes a backward gaze takes my attention away from what God has for the future. And this morning I want to start here with this one, this first clip, and this one I would, I would call unchallenged, untested hope. So find one of the screens and look with me, please. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? tonight can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Dance by the light of the moon. What do you wish when you threw that rock? Oh, no. Come on, no. tell me. If I told you, it might not come true. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it, and it'd all dissolve, see? And the moonbeams would shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Am I talking too much? Yes. Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? How is that? Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? Want me to kiss her, huh? Oh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. <laughs> if you haven't seen this, you, you really you owe it to yourself to, to sit down with the family because there's some great scenes in it. This is just one of numerous ones. I, I want to share a scripture. It's from Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It's, it's a classic passage about hope. Um, it's one that we can look to and find a great sense of encouragement. I want you to read it out loud with me. This is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, don't associate that word welfare with the American political economic circumstance. Welfare simply means prosperity. It means that you fare well. Talking about the welfare of the common good. 
Uh, another translation says that you may prosper. It says that the plans I have for you are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Good, not evil. A future and a hope. Uh, another translation says to give you an expected end. Everybody say, hope is an expectation. Say it again. Say, hope is an expectation. Now, everything that George Bailey just did right here is typical of a young man who is expecting life to just go his way. Um, it's not been tested yet. There have not been tragedies. There's not been disappointments. Uh, George is going to live a life of real sacrifice. He is going to show us what it means to lay down his hopes and dreams temporarily with the expectation that he would later have an opportunity to pick them up again. He, he's raised in this beautiful, idyllic, uh, little Bedford Falls kind of town, and there is sort of the the, the arch nemesis in the community, his name is Mr. Potter, and he's trying to buy up everything and own it all, and he's a, he's a tenement lord, and he's, he's got slum that folks are living in all kinds of pitiful conditions. And George Bailey is going to inherit the old savings and loan. His father had founded it, and it was based on a community desire to be able to help the common people uh, arrive at a place of everybody owning his own home. It's kind of that biblical promise of every man sitting down under his vine and his fig tree. That was the promise that God had held out in front of the people of Israel when they were in Egypt, that God would bring them into a promised land. God always will hold a hope of something to come in front of us where we are currently in order to get us to move. Many times we don't move. We get comfortable. We stay in one place. And God has to stir our hearts sometimes through all different kinds of circumstances. And George is going to inherit the savings and loan. He's saved his whole life. He's waited and worked in town much past the age of young college men entering college at 18. He continues to work for a few years, waiting for his younger brother Harry to graduate high school. And he's thinking that Harry will step in and help dad. In the process... George ends up being the leader, the CEO of the savings and loan because his dad has a stroke and the board is ready to close the savings and loan because Uncle Billy is totally incompetent. Now, everybody has an Uncle Billy in the family. Now, don't look around. If, you, if, if they're all looking at you, then maybe you might be Uncle Billy. I don't know. But I want to tell you, there's a little bit of Uncle Billy in all of us. How many are thankful that Jesus loves Uncle Billy? And, 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 and that, thank you that we have a family that every one of us has a little bit of that incompetence in us, that a family that loves us in spite of that, whatever it is. And so uh, George's dad had loved the brother and, and walked alongside him and helped him, but he wasn't the kind of leader that the savings and loan needed. And Mr. Bailey Sr. had a stroke and he passed. And Mr. Potter came in, was ready to buy it up because he wants to own the town. He, he would like to make it Pottersville. And basically the board says, we will keep the savings and loan open. After George gives this really moving speech at how the city needs the savings and loan, Bedford Falls doesn't need to be in the hands of old Mr. Potter because he was this stodgy old Scrooge-like character that wanted to run and control everything. And the board was so moved, they said, yes, we'll keep it open, only under the condition that George will run it. And George goes, huh, wait a minute, no, 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 that's not for me. I'm ready to get out of this little two-bit, one-horse town and go see the world and lasso the moon. Those were his dreams, his hopes, his aspirations. But in the moment, he knew that he was called to do something that was higher. He was called to, do, to give sacrificially his current expectations, his hopes, 
in order to help a whole community experience theirs. George had saved his money for college and he gave that money to Harry and he said, Harry, you go on, I got to stay here. My time will come. And so George puts his off. He delays instant gratification for himself and he gives his resources to his younger brother Harry so he can go to college and George stays home. George falls in love with Mary and he says, hey, I'll lasso the moon for you. And as he begins to go through life, he realizes that things don't always turn out the way you plan, that you plan and then life happens. And circumstances bring disappointments and disappointments turn into discouragements. George, over the years, sees different seasons where he has to arise again and and, and, and take hold of a hope that was deep down on the inside of his heart where he had to sacrifice yet another time. He saved money and he put it all together. And when he married Mary, he was expecting to take her on a honeymoon. And that was the very day in 1929 when the stock market crashed and he had to turn around and get out of the car, headed for the port to get on a boat and go on a honeymoon to an exotic place and and had experienced the joy of time with Mary, but he turned around and he realized that if he left, that he would come back home and there wouldn't be a savings and loan. So he takes the money he saved for his honeymoon and he gets out and he doles it out a little bit at a time, trying to keep the run on the banks that occurred when the stock market crashed in order to keep the old savings and loan open in Bedford Falls. And there went another dream. There was another hope. And this morning I want you to see, this is many times what happens in the circumstances of our lives when we begin with that bucket list and all the things that we're going to accomplish and things that we hope to do. I have another verse of scripture I want you to see. It is Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12. Read it out loud with me. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now that's only half the verse. We're going to get the latter part of the verse in just a moment. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so we, we spend almost 20 years in Bedford Falls. And we roll up to Christmas Eve 1945 and Harry, George's brother, which he saved when he was a little boy from drowning when the ice broke through in an ice-covered pond, was actually returning home from the war and the town was going to greet him with a hero's parade. And that day, Uncle Billy misplaced $8,000. They didn't know it, but Potter had found it and he hid it because he was always... He was always trying to come up with ways that he could destroy the savings and loan. And so they think that things going under. George has looked everywhere. He's let his tongue loose and he said things that he would later regret, things about Uncle Billy that were really true but shouldn't be said to somebody that you love. George is at the bottom of the barrel. He's looking up from the bottom thinking that he's lost everything. And in a moment, you're going to see what's about to happen. Clip number two, if you would go ahead and play that for me. Well, who are you? I told you, George, I'm your guardian angel. Yeah, yeah, I know. You told me that. What else are you? What are you? You a hypnotist? No, of course not. Well, then why am I seeing all these strange things? Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Well, if I wasn't born, who am I? You're nobody. You have no identity. Oh, what do you mean, no identity? My name's George Bailey. There is no George Bailey. You have no papers, no cards, no driver's license, no 4F card, no insurance policy. They're not there either. What? Zuzu's petals. You've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like without you. Wait a minute here. Wait. 
Oh, well, this is some sort of a funny dream I'm having. So long, mister. I'm going home. Home? What home? Now, shut up. Cut it out. You, you, you're, you, you're crazy. That's what I think. You're, you're screwy. You're driving me crazy, too. I'm seeing things here. I'm going home and see my wife and family. You understand that? And I'm going home alone. Previous to this scene, George had decided that he, his life wasn't worth living because he'd sat in the office of Mr. Potter at the last second hoping to get some help. And Mr. Potter said to him, George, you have that life insurance policy, don't you? He said, yes, $15,000 worth. He said, well, very interesting. You're actually worth more dead than you are alive. How many of you know we all have Job's comforters that can come along in our lives when things are the darkest and they have the innate ability? It's just amazing. You want to go, how did you come up with that? To be able to turn the darkest cloud into one that can become blacker. And so all of a sudden he begins to think, yeah, I'm worth more dead than I am alive. And George chooses to take his life and he's about to jump over the bridge into the river in Bedford Falls and here shows the little gentleman that you see named Clarence Oddbody, Angel Second Class. He jumps over the bridge if you've seen the movie and George actually jumps in to save him and they're back there drying out their clothes in a little house beside the bridge and having the conversation. In that moment, George wishes that he had never been born and Clarence says, that's it. And this scene that you just saw was from that wish that George had said, I wish I had never been born. And so he begins to live through all of these scenarios, seeing what life would be like Bedford Falls would produce, which he actually finds out is Potterville. And where the little Bailey subdivision was actually was a cemetery. Harry never saved all of those men in World War II because he had died himself in the pond icebreak scenario because George wasn't there to save him. And the story goes on and on and on, showing George how life would be so different because one man in one little two-bit, one-horse town that he despised for a season of his life decided to live and sacrifice continually for others. But in this moment, he gets to see what it's like where he didn't do any of that. And what I want to speak to you in this moment right here, I just, just bring it in the sweet spot of this message because we're entering a season where it's so easy for every one of us to get distracted from the reality of, uh, of what it's all about and, and to get focused on what we don't have instead of being thankful for what we do have, the season that we've just come from. And it's so easy how we can, we can leave the fullness of thanksgiving and the tryptophan haze of being laid back and all of the goodness that we've experienced and roll right into the Christmas season and end up in a deep depression in a place of isolation, in a place of just this seasonal funk that we seem like we can't get out of. And what I want to tell you is that for any of you in this room who might have a tendency to end up in that kind of funk, and it, it can hit any of us at any time, I want to tell you don't ever think that you're not an important person because psychologists tell us that even the shyest person will influence over 10,000 people in his or her life. Come on, somebody say amen. That means everybody in the room is important. That means your life matters. That means you make choices that have a domino effect that affect your children and generations. It was such a beautiful thing to see the Gaddis family up here and four generations represented. That's how we're doing Advent this year. Every one of these families are going to be generationally multiplied, represented here. And I have a scripture that I want you to see next, which is one that greatly has touched my heart as I prayed and asked God to open up how I could communicate hope to you. He reminded me of a very obscure passage in the book of Job. 
The Old Testament story of a man who had lost everything, who had it all, and then all of a sudden within a 24-hour period, a tornado blew through and a fire consumed and, and children died and a plague hit and all of this stuff happens and Job for a season, for 40 days, in a, is in a place of complete. It's a seasonal funk for sure. And in the middle of this, there is this little tiny passage that just jumps off the page. It says, for there is hope for a tree. Everybody say that phrase, hope for a tree. There is hope for a tree if it be cut down that it will sprout again and that its shoots will not cease. Though its root grow old in the earth and its stump die in the soil, yet, everybody say yet. Yeah. Come on, say yet. Because yeah. that's your whole life right there tied up in those three letters, yet. Everybody say yet. Yet at the scent of water it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. Now, this little analogy, okay, if you want to clap, go ahead and give the Lord praise. This is hope. Because even when it looks like there is nothing left except a dead stump that is termite-eaten and it's decayed in the ground and you think really all that's left is to call the, the town stump grinder to get up what's left. The Bible says that even when it looks like there's nothing left except death and dying and gloom and doom and just the memory of a past, something that's gone, the Scripture says that tree at the scent of water Holy Spirit in Scripture is always typified. It's prophetically pictured as water. The Scripture says Jesus tells us that if we're thirsty, we can come to Him and we can have water, spiritual water, eternal life, and we, will, we won't thirst again because it will quench the thirst of what we're looking for. Somebody say amen. amen. And so the Scripture says even that tree at the scent of water, that it will bud and it will send forth shoots and it will grow a new tree. And the interesting thing is that I had no idea who the the Advent families were. We'd had conversations weeks ago about who to ask because we were looking for all these generations to be represented. And I didn't know who was going to be speaking today. And it was so wonderful that the Gaddises were up here because there was a time in their lives, there was a time when only Gigi Gaddis was coming to Victory Church. And she came in a place of brokenness. And they had one child, Dylan, who was a little bitty boy. And she and Chat were divorced. And Gigi came to victory, and she started growing in hope and growing in faith. And I actually gave this scripture as a prophetic declaration over their lives. Chat showed up one Sunday and surprised everybody. And Chat hung around, and Chat and Gigi started talking. And I had the pleasure of actually standing in this room and marrying both of them and I spoke this little passage of scripture over them at the wedding. Hope for a tree. When it's nothing left but a stump in the ground and you think there's nothing just, but just a memorial of something that once was. Something that's dead now but used to live. At the scent of water there is hope for a tree. Come on everybody say hope for a tree. And I stood and I joined their hands back together and said, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And I was there when Matthew was born. Fruit of a relationship, a dead tree in the ground that God resurrected and brought a new relationship back. So that's what she was talking about when she said hope for relationships because there's a testimony there. But when she was going through it, it was a test and there was no fun to it. But she didn't quit and she maintained hope. And, and Chat got some hope birthed in his heart. And they started putting their hope together. And hope grew and hope became faith and faith produced love. 
And I was there when Sarah Ellen was born into the family. By the way, let me just brag on our own Sarah Ellen in the house because that little scholarship that, 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 that uh, Gigi mentioned wasn't just a little scholarship. It was about $33,000 worth of scholarships. So we celebrate Sarah. And you think that you don't affect people's lives. We've been so blessed by these kids who've grown up in this house and, and the, the hard work of Matt Gaddis and just the, 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 the intensity and the passion and love for Jesus and Sarah Gaddis and how they've touched us. And the fact is, had those two gone their own way, we would never have those two have affected and touched all of us. And they all have a, they all have a hope and a destiny and a future and God's blessing on their lives because a couple of folks decided to go a different direction and to let God get in the middle of it and heal what had been broken. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yet at the scent of water, it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. Look at this next verse of Scripture. This, this, this clip, I'm sorry. Help me, Clarence. Get me back. Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. Hey, George! George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George? Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... <laughs> My mouth's bleeding, Bert! My mouth's bleeding! Zuzu's pedals. Zuzu. There they are! Bert! What do you know about that? <laughs> great, 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 wonderful passage. I don't know, does, is anybody, are you moved by seeing this? It, it creates kind of a feeling. It's that beautiful family vibe that you kind of pick up from this. A uh, little, little piece of trivia. Did you know that Bert the policeman and Ernie the cab driver, that's where the names on Sesame Street of the two Muppets came from, Bert and Ernie? They came from this movie. I don't know if you knew that. A little bit of trivia. All right, here's a scripture for you as we bring this down to the close. This is the other half of the, of the, of the verse from Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but what? Read it with me. A desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And that's so beautiful because that's the tree that's all of a sudden come up from a stump and sprouted again. He had an opportunity. This is where it came from, the short story called The Greatest Gift, to see what life would have been like had he never been born. And when he sees how rich he is and how, how much he has touched people's lives, he realized that though he may have not have built a bridge a mile long or a skyscraper a hundred stories high, God has invested in him an opportunity with relationships and people and a whole community who've been changed because of George Bailey's life. So this morning what I want you to see is there is that opportunity for every one of us who may have lost hope for a season, who've thought we'd lost it all, who set out there with a bucket list and maybe a lot of it's never been accomplished. But if you can get a fresh perspective in Jesus Christ and see what he will do in your life, he'll, he'll make it all new and he'll give you a fresh start. And that's what basically George just prayed for right here. He says, I want to live again, God. I want to live again. 
And you know what? You may already know Jesus as your personal Savior, but I want to tell you, sometimes we need a fresh start. We need to hit the reset button. We need to say, God, I need an injection of hope. I don't want to spend all my time looking back to the past with a nostalgic look, hoping for something that will never be again. I think that the proportions of future gaze and backward glance really are in the space between the windshield on your car and the rearview mirror because you don't spend your life driving in reverse. You have this little bitty tiny mirror that you can glance to the back to see what's behind you, but everything, the view, the vista, the panoramic view around you with all the windows in your automobile is because you're moving forward. You're taking steps in a new direction, maybe that you've never gone before, and so you have to look more in your attention to the future than you do to the past. The gaze is on what's to come. The glance is on what once was. And when you can say, God, I need a fresh start. God, I want to live again. God, give me hope. God, let me just get the scent of water so that this stump in my life, this relationship that's dead, the business that's already died, whatever it is, God, I want your will. I want your perfect will for my life. God, like no other, has the ability to bring hope and work all things together for your good because you love him and because you're the called according to his purpose. Last clip this morning. telegram. Good idea, Ernie. A toast <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. <laughs> Maybe this is a little bit sappy for a couple of you. Um, I forgive you if you think like that. But to me, this is um, its like the warm glow of those Christmas lights over there. It's, it's a heartwarming touch to see. And I'm, I'm going to get broken up here. I don't know why. But 
when, when community, when, when people surround you, when you're at a dark time and they pour out their love for you and show you how much that you are cared for. And I want to I want to say that I believe that that's that is so alive in Victory Church for you and what the Lord Jesus Christ has created here because of love that is here in this place, one for another. And I want to tell you, if if you go through a seasonal funk, don't don't go through it alone. Let somebody know. We'll we'll come alongside and lift you up and strengthen you because no matter what circumstances, and it's crazy sometimes how discouragement and disappointment will hit in this season. Or maybe just the memory of the loss of loved ones, of parents or spouses or children even. God help us when we have to face a brother or sister or a child that we've buried. And then you go through the holidays and you just all these memories flood. And what I want to tell you is that there are people here that love you. We love you and we want to walk with you. But the beauty of this thing is, is that George probably spent his life thinking how charmed Harry was. But we've, the movie's not about Harry. But what if we made a movie about Harry and we realized that everything that looks like it's always gone right in Harry's life is not any more true than it is in George's? And the fact is that we waste our lives looking at somebody else thinking they've had all of the right doors open and they're looking at us thinking that, oh, man, are you kidding me? You're the richest man in town. You've got a family and all these house full of beautiful kids and a community that loves you. We don't want to waste our time looking at somebody else thinking how much more blessed they are than us because they have something we don't, when we should focus our attention on not what we don't have but being grateful for all that we do have. And it's amazing when we start looking at life and letting God give us that fresh perspective of hope. I have one last verse and I'm finished this morning. This is from the book of Hebrews. It says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Everybody say a hope. Here it is, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. It's talking about the most holy place in heaven, okay? Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. Everybody say a high priest forever. Say forever like you really mean it. A high priest forever. Now think about this. This, this is an allusion to the Old Testament city of refuge, when someone was involved in a homicide, maybe it was an accident that you killed somebody, there was the avenger of blood. It was the determination of the perfect law of God that demanded a life for a life and an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And there's not a person in this room this morning, no matter how good you've tried to live your life, who has not broken that perfect law of God which sets loose the avenger of blood, the one who is trying to return a life for a life and an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Nothing I can do to earn or deserve God's favor because His perfect law demands perfection and I am far from that, as is everybody in this room. The only one that we can look to for perfection is the Son of God and His name is Jesus Christ the Lord. Today he's hope for us because those Old Testament cities of refuge that were positioned all around Israel, they were within a quick distance that if someone was involved in an accidental murder, they could run to that city of refuge. And the scripture gives this law. It says as long as the high priest is alive, they are protected from the avenger of blood. Now, if the high priest dies and you outlive him, then it's time for the sentence to be carried out and a life has to appear before a life, and a life, your life is taken. But this is what I want you to see this morning. 
Jesus Christ. Put that scripture back up, that very last one, as I bring this to a close, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. I'm sorry you have to read through all that other stuff. Thank you. Having become a high priest forever. Say that again. A high priest forever. What this means is, is that we don't have to wait for the high priest to die knowing the avenger of death is coming after us because our high priest has already died. And he's already got up out of the ground. And the book of Hebrews says he now, he now administers the office of high priest from the power of an endless life. How many of you know we have a high priest who cannot die? Because he's already tasted death for every man, swallowed it up and got up out of the grave and caused death to be no more because he is alive. Look at your neighbor and say, he's alive. Somebody said, wait a minute, I thought this was Christmas. We're celebrating Easter. Well, they're all tied together. And this morning when you, as a guilty sinner, run into the city of refuge, that's the local church, that's this community, that's your Bedford Falls right here. That's a community that surrounds you and you fall at the feet of the great high priest who is the high priest forever who cannot die. You don't have to worry about losing your salvation at some point in the future and the avenger of death coming after you because the high priest Jesus is alive forevermore and he cannot die. Come on, somebody. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer.